Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 80, live from our studios all throughout the country, not just in Hollywood this week, with my good friend and MAPT co-founder, Rachel Grubbs. How are you doing? Hello. Happy Wednesday. I'm great. <laughs> Hello. I-, I love how you turn on your radio voice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I fall back into regular voice. <laughs> that works. That's what we do. Verinia Granum from the great state of New York's. That's right. New, I was going to say New York City, but I'm like, because I want to start singing. New. Oh, anyway. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Um, awesome, awesome. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Phenomenal. Dr. Scott Wright. Woohoo! Darth ho, Vader ho. himself. Ho, ho, ho. I'll fill everybody on. <laughs> nice. Fantastic sweater. I'm wearing a uh, a Christmas sweater tonight for the uh, Blueprint Sketchy webinar that we're doing. We're we're gonna have a a a, um, a Christmas sweater theme, and and mine actually it's it's it says like Merry Catmas or something. It has a cat on it, which I thought was perfect for the MCAT. So oh. that, that's what I'm doing. Nice. Um, yeah, and I'm here, Doctor Gray, just hanging out. Uh, in my basement, as I do. Um, if I have any issues, I haven't told any of you. We have a major windstorm outside with wind gusts up to 100 miles an hour. So Yikes. if well, I lose power or internet connection, you know that's where I am. So, okay. As long as you're grounded. <laughs> I'm in my basement. That's where you're supposed to be, right? Good. Yeah. That's, that's what we do. So uh, if you are new here, we go live every Wednesday, almost every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern here on youtube and on instagram as i have my kind of phone set up here we take questions from the youtube audience so if you're watching on instagram and you're asking questions there i'm not looking at your questions there because the phone's sideways and i'd have to like tweak my head and uh hurt my neck but uh go to mapped.tv m-a-p-p-d.tv to ask questions we are the mapped crew uh rachel and i co-founded mapped last year as a uh, really a software platform, and we have now expanded to include advising as well. Um, so we have some really smart brains. Dr. Scott Wright, former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, retired executive director of TMDSAS. So if any of you have applied to Texas schools through TMDSAS before and you didn't get in, it's all Dr. Wright's fault. His address is... No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Send send your hate mail um, to P.O. Box. North Pole, North Pole. (laughs) Yes, do that. Um, And Verinia Granum, the former assistant dean in pre-health and STEM advising at Hofstra University in New York. So got some bright minds here uh rachel's no schlub either neither is myself but let's go and jump in and a- answer some questions let's do it 
Jacob asks, is it possible to leverage multiple acceptance to get more scholarship money? If so, how? Oh, the wonderful predicament to be in, right, Dr. Wright? Of, uh, I have acceptances. Maybe one is offering a financial aid package and one is not. What are your thoughts there? <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, I, this is a reasonable question, I think. And I think what's happening here is students who, who are used to this in the university world. Uh, when you were applying to undergraduate institutions uh, right out of high school, this was how things worked. And you, you know, uh, different institutions would compete with each other to get you to come to their school by offering you scholarship money and they would leverage that scholarship money to get the kind of students they wanted. This really does not occur in the medical school world. Uh, it's very, it's not very common at all. And uh, I would say it's rare. And uh, so I, I don't think, Jacob, that this is, this is going to be, that it works that way. I think that uh, medical schools are, you know, they're going to make uh, offers to, uh, of acceptance to people that they want in their class. Uh, they will make uh, financial aid packages. And, you know, it, it's possible, I suppose, that uh, they might, um, you know, but it's not really the kind of thing that you can go to a school and say, well, school X offered me this. What are you, what, what can you put on the table? Yeah. I, I would see, I would say that is not common and uh, that medical schools will in large part say, okay, go to school X. Bye. Yeah. I'll, I'll be the dissent voice because I've actually had students do this with good effect. Um, and, and I always preface it with, you can't play the game to just play the game. You mm -hmm. this game only if the school that you truly want to go to is not offering you anything or significantly less than another school. And it really is truly causing you ache, uh, like heartache and, and stress over like, I, I really want to go to school Y, but school X is, is just making it that much more compelling. You already have the acceptance and you go to them and say, Hey, school Y, uh, here, here's where I'm at. Here's what this other school is offering me. I want to come to your school because of X, Y, and Z. Is there, is there anything else you can do with my financial aid? Just plain and simple, right? What's the worst that's going to happen? And I'll say, no, like what we offered you is what we offered you, or we don't do any need-based or, or non-need-based financial aid, whatever their response is. What you cannot do, and what I stress you don't do, is then get a better financial aid package from the, the, the school that you really want to go to, supposedly, and then go back to the other school and say, hey, school Y offered me even more. What can you do? Right. Don't play that game. This is not a car dealership. Mm -hmm. So that, I, I would try it. It may not work, but why not? I've seen it work. Yeah, I've seen it work, too, but I've also seen it implode spectacularly. Um, and particularly with the instances <laughs> you just said, um, if there's any whiff of your integrity in question, so not you, Scott and Ryan, but Jacob or this theoretical person who might do it, if they if they suspect that you're you're being hyperbolic at all, like mm. it it could go very badly for you. Um, yeah. I had a student several years ago who, you know, against advice, played that game and got offers rescinded. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
Now, what the issue was in that case is that he wasn't fully honest. He exaggerated a little. And I don't even think he was trying to be dishonest. I just think he was in car dealership mode and (laughs) forgot that they still have all the power. Um, And guess what? They can talk to each other and say, hey, exactly. We we got an email from Johnny saying you guys offered him this. That that sounds a lot. Is that true? No, that's That's exactly what happened. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Stay humble. Stay humble. <laughs> how about how about stay truthful? Yeah. Yes, both. <laughs> All right, let's go on. Good yeah. question, Jacob. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Great. Lena asks, I just started studying for the MCAT and I realized how much info I don't remember from my courses. What's the best way to cope with being overwhelmed with the MCAT? Rachel Grubbs, you are the MCAT experts extraordinaire. My favorite word I haven't used in forever. Right. (laughs) Yeah, Lena, this is a great question. And I was noticing in the pre-med hangout um, how many people are posting similar things. And so it makes me really happy because I feel like for a long time, students would think like, oh, well, I have finals. It's winter holiday. I'll start studying in January when school goes back. So seeing this big uptick of people studying in December uh, makes me happy. Um, So good for you for for working on it now. Um, And yeah, you're not alone. Whether you're a non-traditional who hasn't seen those courses in 10 years, or if you're a junior and you just haven't seen Gen Chem in two years, you forget. Um, The best way I think you can stay organized is give yourself a detailed study plan and then stop thinking about the big picture for a while and just think about what am I supposed to accomplish today? Mm. Um, And the truth is there are gonna be some topics that you have to come back to multiple times. So it's not today I'm doing stoichiometry and I have to master it. It's today I'm putting stoich in my brain again, (laughs) Um, you know, and just just keep plugging away bit by bit. If If you look up and you see all the miles you have to travel, you might, kind of overwhelm yourself into not doing anything so just you know one half hour study chunk at a time and you you will get there bit by bit how do you how do you eat an elephant one One bite at a time time. one bite at a time right so go to go to blueprintmcat.com sign up for their free account you'll get access to their amazing online study planner tool and just follow the plan right plan the work work the plan as they say and, and don't worry about what tomorrow has in store. Focus on today, what the, the blueprint schedule creator is, is telling you to study today. Um, and, and hopefully that will reduce some of the anxiety. Look at things like Anki, to, uh, flashcards to, to help with a lot of that material to get that back into your brain. Actually, on the, the MCAT podcast, the last two weeks, we've done learning and, and memory retention episodes. So go check those out at MCATpodcast.com as well. Uh, but, but Rachel, as you were saying, right, getting kind of um, overwhelmed by, by everything that is there, I think um, I've always had a, a, a big issue reading books like physical books. And I never could read books, even in medical school, reading books, textbooks would just make me fall asleep. And one day I was on a, uh, getting on a plane and, uh, I, I downloaded my first Kindle book and I was like, ah, let me, let me see this book. Everyone's talking about this book. Um, like S S my dad says or something, uh, (laughs) bad word. Um, and I flew through that book, like, nothing 
And I think I finally realized that what was happening was the intimidation of having a full book and I'll, I'll grab my book and, and ruin my Instagram uh, thing there, having this full book and, and being at the front and turning page by page, seeing that this chunk wasn't diminishing that much, I think was super intimidating subconsciously. And I would just want to put it down. Cause I'm like, I'm not accomplishing anything. So it's very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And some of that is just knowing your own psychology, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Do you have to turn off the percentage complete or the page of page on Kindle? Um, do you need to find audio versions or a, a text to voice reader because you learn better that way? You know, there's, yep. there's just a lot of things that you have to play with that work for different people differently. Yeah. Yep. All right. Know thyself as Shakespeare would say. Devoy wants to know, does he need to be able to calculate the area under a curve? <laughs> yes, <laughs> you do. Now, the bigger question is, do you need physics-based calculus or algebra-based calculus? And that doesn't matter. No. That's always the bigger question that everyone asks. But let me point out that not very many schools require calculus anymore. Yeah, um, it's going yeah. down. Uh, many medical schools would very much prefer their students take statistics mm -hmm. than calculus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's much more useful. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. Especially in the middle of a pandemic when nobody knows how to <laughs> understand statistics. <laughs> yeah. Masks don't work. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Is it true that medical schools like to compare your application and GPA against others from your institution? Oh, I love this question. I don't know if we've got this question before. Uh, Maybe this is our giveaway for the week question. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, so this question is, is out there in, in pre-med lore of medical schools. And, and this even goes back to undergrad as well, that specific undergrad institutions only will take two people from your high school. Um, the the question about will medical schools limit the number of people that they accept from one undergraduate institution? Uh, I, I heard actually very recently a student asked this question with the response from the uh, I don't know if it was a dean or director of admissions. I don't think it was. Maybe it was an admissions committee member. But their response was basically, well, do you want to go to medical school with all of your college classmates? And it, it kind of made sense. It's like, well, you want variety. You want a mixture of thoughts and and different views and stuff all coming together as we continue to move up the chain of of knowledge. Um, Scott, when you were at at uh, UT Southwestern, what what was that like there? Did you have specific kind of policies in place to say like, don't don't take too many people from UT Dallas. Don't take too many people from UT Austin. What what was that like? Uh, we didn't have, uh, it, it was not a, um, there was no policy about it. There was mm -hmm. no um, active process to make sure that that didn't occur. Um, what, what we ended up with was a mix of students. So we had at that time a class of, we would enroll a class of 200 students in the medical school. 
And uh, we would often, it would not be unusual to have 75 or so different undergraduate institutions represented amongst those 200 students. Mm -hmm. uh, now, the larger schools, particularly in Texas, such as UT Austin and Texas A&M, would clearly have more students in our class than smaller institutions. But yeah. it was never, we never, and, and back to this question, we really never compared. I don't think the the question is is accurate that that it's I don't think it's true that, that institutions necessarily do that they are cognizant of what they're doing and trying to as you said have a mix of students in their class from different you know a variety of different things but this is what the holistic review really is about and it's about you know enrolling a, a, a class that's healthy and, and that has breadth and depth and and, and all that stuff. And so I don't think that medical schools necessarily um, will look and say, well, the average GPA of all of our students from X school is this, and this student's GPA yeah. is 0.2 below that. So, yeah. you know, I mean, that just doesn't happen. Potentially where, sorry, Bernie, just one quick thing. Potentially where it does come from is the undergraduate institution, if they have a pre-health committee, writing a letter saying this student is the top 5%, top 1%, right. the, the pre-health committee is comparing all the students at that institution, putting that into a letter. That's right. Yeah. Verena, what are your thoughts? No, I think it speaks to um, what Scott's point about holistic review, the fact that you can have such a large pool of applicants from one institution and you're still able to kind of mix it up. Um, it speaks mm -hmm. to, you know, they're looking at, everything they're looking at it holistically yeah. Yeah. which is which is really good yeah good question oh for for the giveaway um cerise cerise uh our giveaway is access to mapped uh our, our software technology platform so uh if you would like to email info at mapped.com we'll set you up with a free account including uh, chat advising so you can get some advice along the way uh, just shoot an email again to info at mapped.com awesome yeah we hadn't done a giveaway in a couple weeks mm -hmm. yeah good to keep people on their toes <laughs> yep. uh, damn a dog we talk about the thanksgiving rule for interview invites when considering reapplying next cycle when should we consider reapplying if we have gotten an interview but no acceptance oh what do you think Vernia? i think now now's the time i think it's never too um early to be prepared for the next cycle just in yeah. case yeah. um so it's okay to start thinking about it hope for the best of course but prepare for the worst um so now now is a good time yep yep start doing that critical reflection what potentially is holding me back start working on that stuff now so that it's not april of next year and you're like okay i need to work on my flaws and now all of a sudden you don't have time to fix mm -hmm. those flaws before your next application without a, a, a gap year or something yeah. and then worst case scenario if you get your acceptance then that's okay yeah you don't have to worry about it uh, 100%, I will quickly add, uh, we are seeking people to be on application renovation. So if you would like Dr. Gray to help you do some of that reflection, I just put the link in the chat, uh, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash apply. And uh, maybe you got to do the reflection either way, but maybe you'll do it with us. Yeah. Yep, All yep. right. Let's see. 
Quintetis. I interviewed at four schools before the end of September. Congratulations, but have not heard anything back. Boo. Other people who interviewed around the same time have received acceptances. Should I be concerned? Yeah. No. Same situation, right? It's just for one reason or another, they haven't offered you an acceptance yet. Uh, but you have those interviews. You haven't been rejected yet. Again, say what Bernie was just saying. Just start thinking about potentially the need to reapply and what that would look like and what you need to do. Uh, mm-hmm. But having four interviews and no rejections potentially from those four schools, you still have lots and lots and lots of opportunity there. Yeah. Prepare for the worst. Hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Take that mental energy towards uh, looking at your application. <laughs> Balwinder, <laughs> is there a need to pursue a master or post back if you have a strong upward GPA trend and no that the final goal is medical school. So the question would be, Bellwinder, what is that upward trend look like, right? Mm-hmm. If, a, if it's a 4.0 strong upward trend over four credits, then yeah, prob- probably you're going to need some extra work. Uh, if it's over 40 credits, then maybe not. So very, very specific situation that um, if you were using MAPT and, and part of the the chat advising in MAPT, we could go look at your your graphs and give you some thumbs up thumbs down but um this is a a big it depends Mm -hmm. should we show some trends and mapped sure all right i'm opening in the demo is this gonna be a race no (laughs) no i'm letting you do it Right. So this is kind of the classic example we give, right? Like uh, not all 3.3s are created equally. Uh, so in this particular example, we've got a, you know, this is our demo account. So this this imaginary student has a 3.3, which isn't the end of the world, but it's also uh, not the best. But you can see there was a dip. Something happened here kind of in the middle of college but the last several semesters, grades are way better. Now, the other thing you might notice, these gray vertical bars are credits. This actually isn't a whole lot of credits, right? Um, yeah. Can so, you and, highlight over those and, and show uh, them what that looks like? Let's look. Yeah, you can. There you go. So, yeah. So, eight credits there and eight credits on the next one, and I think only four or two on that last one. Right. So, looking at this student, this again, this hypothetical student, what I would say is, I love that your grades are, are back up, but what I want to see is more accumulation of credits, right? So this isn't, we've got, yeah, four, eight, eight, two. So they definitely need more. They've only got 22 credits. So they, they're probably about halfway there to showing that they've really got academic rigor down. Yep. So yeah, if you're not in mapped, go check it out. You can go fill out that kind of data and then also ping us through the uh, messaging to get our feedback. Yep, yep. Andrew, is extra shadowing a good replacement for clinical experience, patient interaction? No. Nope. Clinical experience outweighs shadowing. It's much better, active versus a passive experience. So um, if you're lacking clinical experience, um, try to get some more clinical experience as Mm -hmm. much as you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, shadowing is great, but but it doesn't make up for a lack of. It just doesn't work that way. Mm-mm. 
man toes <laughs> i have man toes um if you do your undergrad in canada but you are a u.s citizen are you considered american or canadian for med schools you are american i'm american um you are you are a u.s citizen so mm -hmm. that's all that matters mm -hmm. now the one asterisk you put on that is students who go to like england or or wherever, anywhere overseas, outside of Canada, it's very tricky because now you have an international undergraduate degree, which medical schools frown upon because it's very hard to convert and know your, your academic rigor and what that looks like because we just don't look at that that much. Um, but for the far majority of schools out there, if not all of them, Canada is equal to the U.S. It's considered a, a U.S. degree. So my, my wife actually was in that situation. She went to uh, Montreal to McGill for her undergrad. No issues applying. Yeah. Well, McGill is like the Harvard. It's the Harvard of Canada. Yeah, she loves to rub that in my face. I'm oh, like, I know. That's why I said I it. went to the party school of Florida. We ended up in the same place, baby. <laughs> oh, I awesome. had fun. You did not during undergrad. Sorry. You don't know. She might have had fun. Oh, no, she did not have fun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's not specific to all McGill students, though. That's just an Allison thing. Only only physiology students. <laughs> Apparently, it's rigorous. Uh, Jacob asks, will medical schools look down on me taking online courses my first two years? I plan to finish the last two in person. I had to do online courses due to my crazy job schedule as a firefighter. So, Scott, historically, online courses, we kind of put our nose up and went, oh, you are not qualified. Uh, but I think the pandemic has shown, hey, mm -hmm. online is yeah. online. Mm -hmm. Med schools had to go online. Yep. It's shockingly, students are still graduating and, and doing yeah. their thing. So, yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah yep. Just do That's, well. Yep. Is going away. Well. Here's here's something. Uh, not a question from from uh, the the chat here. I had a conversation with a student, and I forget specifically who it was or where why I was talking to them. Um, it was a student who opted to do pass fail for their one of their master's classes um, because of the pandemic. The the school offered them. It was uh, they're doing a master's program at a a medical school. Um, and the school said, hey, you can do it pass fail. But then they said, after the students did this, oh, that pass fail does not count towards credit towards your master's degree. You have to retake it, oh, repay no. for it and get a grade. And I'm like, I think that sounds a little illegal. You should talk to a lawyer. What really? are you on that? That's that sounds crazy. That's horrible. Yeah. 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 They didn't tell them this until after? No. Well, even before, like a grade is a grade. Like, yeah. If you're going to give me the option, I'm still passing the class. Why does that not count? Well, what do you expect from the University of Florida? Oh, actually, it was an institution what? closer up towards Virginia, but that's <laughs> really. Hmm. Yeah. That's not nice yeah no, no I, I was kidding by the way about florida <laughs> oh I, I know you were because it's just not true because yeah florida florida is a well, beacon of of academic excellence outside of uh pressure from the governor to uh, lie about certain things yeah. <laughs> well if they, need an if they need an attorney there's lots of them up here too. <laughs> okay. all right 
Danielle asks, is January too early to ask for LORs of applying this cycle? Can the letters be dated six months before submission? Yeah, go ahead. That's fine. Right. Our, our general rule of thumb that we talk about here is always uh, try to have it dated the year of your application. So yep. if you're applying in 2022, starting in, in January 2022, asking for those letters. That's fine. Perfect. Yep. Yes. And very smart to ask in January rather than in May when they're getting a bajillion requests. <laughs> right. Hey, can I have a letter and I need it tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> that never <laughs> happens. <laughs> My rule of thumb is they need two days, but you don't know which two days, so give them four weeks. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then nudge them around week three. Nice. nice. <laughs> yes. Emily asks, as my house is shaking, if I feel a school is a great fit for me in every way, except that it is about twice as expensive expensive as another school, should I let the amount of future debt sway my decision? the question so let's let's hypothetically say emily has been accepted to both schools scott this kind of goes back to the the question that we answered earlier from jacob i believe about can can you potentially ask one school for better financial aid if if another school is giving that to you um let, let's assume there's no financial aid in this picture Emily's been accepted to both schools. What are your thoughts here? How should she proceed? Well, this is a tough question. And I, I really, um, I, I understand the difficulties of, of making a decision based on, you know, this kind of, you know, this kind of uh, situation or whatever. Um, I, I, I think that you have to take into consideration uh, that, you know, you're looking at, um, a, a picture that's not fully filled out yet in terms of you determining what a great fit for you is. Now, let's say, okay, the school that you're looking at and that you think is a great fit is indeed a great fit for you. Uh, you like the curriculum. It's, you know, maybe in a location that you like and, and all of that stuff. Um, I, I think that you have to consider over a 40, maybe even 50 year career, what is going to be best uh, in terms of your preparation for that career uh, and, 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 and make the best decision you can. I, I think you have to consider your own financial picture. Uh, how averse to debt are you? Uh, I mean, the vast majority of medical, stu medical students are going to go into debt. Uh, many of them are, are, are pulling in uh, undergraduate debt with that. And, uh, and so I, I think that uh, sometimes it will, uh, you have to uh, look at, 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 you know, all of the, all of the elements of a decision and, and debt uh, and how much debt you're going to accrue uh, needs to be a part of that decision. Uh, and you need to get, you know, good advice from uh, family members, from people that know your situation and know you, uh, I would, I would, you know, if you know, or, or maybe if your parents have a financial advisor that can kind of help you look at this picture in a, in a broad way, uh, I think that's a good idea. Uh, but I think it should be a part of the process of, of considering what is going to be the best fit for you and, uh, and, and then make a decision that you feel like uh, is, is an appropriate one based on all the information that you have. It's no easy answer to this question, however. 
Yeah, uh, it, it is hard. And actually, I saw a poll recently in Reddit. I'm trying to find it. Um, and the poll was basically, would you uh, would you go to a top 10, right, using U.S. News and World Reports, which we all know is, is just trash. Um, would you go to a top 10 school with no financial aid versus a rural state school um, with with free tuition? And the majority of people said they would go to the top 10 school with with uh, no financial aid, full full debt, et cetera. And and it just it boggles my mind that mm-hmm. there's just there's so much weight put on the, mm-hmm. this U.S. News and World Reports. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, I think Emily's asking a good question about fit, mm-hmm. right? The, the top 10 versus rural. Maybe there's some fit in there. If you're like you're a city person, you can't stand rural environments, whatever. Maybe there's some some fit stuff there. Um because at the end of the day, if, if you're miserable for your four years because the curriculum doesn't work well with you, the class size is too big for you, the location doesn't work well for you in terms of weather or whatever else, and, and you have other concerns there, then, yeah, maybe double the debt is, is worth it because you know you're going to be happy, you're going to be more successful, which is going to set you up for success for your residency and, and fellowship, et cetera. Um, Double is a lot. <laughs> That's all I'll say. Double mm-hmm. is a lot. So, mm-hmm. uh, but but also knowing yourself, right? Are you potentially a frugal person, or can be a frugal person, and and live like a resident, or live like a medical student the first five years of your life as an attending, and pay off your debt super fast, which many people do, uh, and then it didn't really matter that you had double the financial aid, other than kind of lost opportunity. Mm-hmm. 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 So that was a long way of saying, Emily, you're on your own. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. No. Yeah. But yeah, no one no, can make that choice. It's a for tough you. choice. Yeah. yeah. It is a yeah. tough choice. But you probably know make a pro and con list, mm-hmm. flip a coin. If you don't like the answer when you flip the coin, then you know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Darn it. It's not what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, we get this question almost every week from someone different, so I'm going to shine it for once. <laughs> for Tim Simdas schools, as Rachel used to say, TMDSAS, it, is it okay to send a letter of intent to your top choice prior to match day? So wonderful match day. Uh, we won't go into match day and what that entails. Uh, but uh, Scott, do you think for Texas schools specifically with the match, do you think a letter of intent makes makes a difference. I'm not sure it makes a difference, but it's it's certainly okay. It's not inappropriate. Um, yeah. I think you know sending a letter, what impact it will have is unclear. But uh, if you want to feel like you're doing everything that you can do to um, to make it clear that you would go to that school if they if you matched there, then absolutely, I'd say go for it. To one one school. Single, uno, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Only one school, right? Because you send a letter of intent to all the schools and they all rank you number one, and you only match at one of them, they're gonna be scratching their head, going, I thought you said you loved me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> integrity, integrity, hey, back to integrity. Mm-hmm. Shocker, it's the theme of the day. <laughs> Gabriel asks, How mandatory is clinical experience for a late 20s career changer? A thousand percent. A thousand. Only a thousand percent? 
yeah. on the low end for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why is One it important? Million percent. Why it is important? Why can't Gabriel just go to a medical school and say, "I hate my job as an accountant. I want to be a doctor." Trust me. <laughs> Well, good luck with that attitude. Um, how would we know that you've looked into this field and you really know you're comfortable with getting your hands in there and getting your hands dirty and smelling the patient, as we say? Um, so absolutely. One million percent mandatory. Late 20s, career changer, does not matter. Yeah. It's required. Exactly. Yeah, I was just going to say, I do love this question, but it should be how mandatory is clinical experience? question mark anybody, yes. right we don't need the less mm -hmm. the rest of the statement it doesn't yeah. it doesn't matter what your situation is yeah. we want to know that you've really explored this and have confirmed your desire to do it that you understand what it entails and when i say we i mean the collective medical community right. Right. <laughs> including you you, you want to know that you don't want to go through this you and then realize i don't really like blood or i don't like the way you know i have to hear crying kids all the time so yeah, yeah. you want to know that and, and you see how the, the discussion is around not you have to get certain number of hours. And I saw a question pop up. How many hours? We don't know. Uh, a certain number of hours um, for the medical schools. It's for you to prove to yourself that this is what you want, to prove to yourself that you do like being in a clinical setting, that you do like being around whiny, smelly, crying, screaming, happy patients, whatever, whatever form they come in. And it's not like taking care of your grandma when she was sick for two weeks or watching Grey's Anatomy or Scrubs or whatever medical school mm -hmm. or medical drama is out there today. Um, it's for you. And, and then for you to reflect on that experience and then be able to write about it and talk about it in your application and interviews. Mm -hmm. So yes, mandatory. Mm -hmm. And can you get in with no clinical experience? Sure. It's possible. It's not probable, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty rare. Mm -hmm. David asks, I work in multiple units such as ICU, cardiac, telemetry, ER, more as a patient care technician. Can I put my clinical experience for each unit separately in the application? You could. Yeah. I, I like to say there are no rules when it comes to this kind of stuff. At the end of the day, you have 15 spots for AMCAST. If you got room for them and they're drastically different, you can tell different mm -hmm. stories, different impact. Mm -hmm. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is not just uh, do you have room for them, but do you have meaningful stories that are different from each of them? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Just have to think about how you want to use your space. Yep, yep. Isabella, I am from Chicago, but now in Texas, my main motivation to apply to U Chicago is to return to the city and serve the community I grew up in. Is this an appropriate topic for the Why Us essay? Sure. Yep. It is. Zaria, does clinical rotation experience as a pharmacy student count as clinical experience? Hmm. This always falls back on the, I have no idea. What were you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What does that actually mean? What were you doing during this time? Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. 
should we talk more then about what makes clinical clinical? Sure. Brittany? Are you directly in contact with patients? Are you um, assisting them with, you know, I mean, it could range from assisting them with personal care to taking vitals um, or were your, or what, you know, was your job um, distributing medication, which isn't, you know, sorry, was your rotation distributing medication? That's not really, you know, considered clinical. So really you have to look at what was the nature of your interaction with your patients, if you had, you know, if you were seeing patients during those rotations. Yep. Yep. Manush, I want or hope to apply the cycle, but I'm not sure if I'll be ready to apply by then. What's a good way to gauge if I'm ready and a good applicant? Well, funny you should ask. <laughs> Dr. Scott Wright is the star of Am I Ready, which you can find mm -hmm. at mapped.tv. Mm -hmm. uh, you can go binge watch all of those episodes. Or if you are a mapped user, you can, um, you can apply to be on Am I Ready and get Scott's masterful expert opinion. Correct. Yeah. But even before that, they can also start with a mapped account and start looking at your, you know, your activities and your GPA profile and what that looks like too. So yep. mm -hmm. take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Let's see. Flying through questions today. Yeah, we, yeah, are. we are. I know I was, I was looking for something we haven't done yet. Uh, trying to get to them before Ryan flies away. Hopefully, <laughs> your house stays grounded. Though. We're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. Uh, Cardia asks, How in depth is a previous career talked about in the application or interview cycle? Is it important to put an emphasis on it? So, this is a very common question for non trads of, of either way. Like, I don't want to emphasize it, or I do want to emphasize it. And, and my general recommendation is talk about it, right? It's going to mm -hmm. go in your application. Mm -hmm. uh, even if it's a non-clinical, non-medical related prior career, you need it in, in air quotes. Uh, I recommend you put it in um, just for timeline purposes to mm -hmm. tell the schools what you've been up to. And there are potentially lots of intangibles that a, an admissions committee member or reviewer can get from your previous career if it's in if it's in retail it's like okay well you have to have good communication skills and customer service skills and whatever else based on that job so um if you don't want to market as a most meaningful don't market as a most meaningful if you do that's great market as most meaningful it doesn't really matter um just just talk about it any mm -hmm. any thoughts there scott no i agree i agree with uh, everything that you've said i think uh the you know there there are a lot of uh, skills that you get from uh, a previous career maybe leadership abilities uh, certainly time management discipline you know there's a lot of different things that an admissions committee can take away from what you've done in a previous career and uh, so don't minimize it necessarily just because it's not medical or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jesus, I worked in EMS for a little over a year before I started on my undergraduate. I don't currently work in EMS anymore. Would my experience be too far away by the time I apply for medical school? The dreaded gap in clinical experience question. Mm -hmm. Ah, Rachel, what do you think? You know, 
Jesus leaves this open for interpretation. If you're asking, can I put it on my application? Is it too old? No, definitely not. You should list it. If you're asking, is that enough clinical? It's not a good look if you do clinical and then stop doing it for however, you know, however many months or years until you apply, right? Because assuming this all works out and you become a doctor, your whole life is going to be clinical. So you don't necessarily have to go back to that ES, EMS job, but you should be getting clinical experience in at least, you know, if not a full-time thing, because not everyone's going to do that, some kind of slow, steady, consistent way, basically ongoing forever, right? So from now until when you retire, clinical is going to be part of your life. So maybe you don't have the bandwidth for a full-time job. Maybe you're doing, you know, five hours every two weeks in a volunteer position, but you, I would not say, okay, I did that and check it off because that, you know, whether or not this is what's going on in your head, Jesus, it's going to give the impression that you didn't really like it. So you stopped as soon as you felt you had enough. Um, and that's that's not an optic that you want med schools to have. You you need to prove to yourself and also show them that you enjoy it and that you want to keep going back to it. Yeah, it, it it's a very common question that students ask and, and kind of goes back to the the question that the, the other student asked of like, well, how much clinical experience do I need? And and I've been at conferences and talked to students and they're like, well, here's my plan. Uh, freshman year, the summer after freshman year, I'm going to go get 120 hours of scribe experience and, so that I can I get the hours that I need and then I can stop doing clinical experience and then go focus on the next thing that I'm that I have to check the box on. Um, and it's just it's a, a bad way to think about it because mm -hmm. that's exactly what it looks like. It looks yeah. like you're just doing things because you think you have to do them to get into medical school and, and it lacks showing passion. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And Ryan, you said something recently that really resonated with me, which is if clinical is doing what it's supposed to do, you should be excited for it, right? Yeah. It's an amazing break from schoolwork. It's an amazing break from yeah. MCAT. It's the thing that motivates you because even, you know, there are days when it's smelly or yucky or hard or depressing or enraging, right? But there are also going to be days where you are just so pumped and you love it and it confirms that that is the career you want. And you should be ideally thinking, oh my God, I'm so excited that I get to take a break from, you know, boring old Ochem and go to the hospital <laughs> and interact with some real life patients and do some good in this world, you know? Yeah. And mm -hmm. if it's not feeling that way to you, then I think that's a good time to pause and reflect and think, mm -hmm. but that's what my job is going to look like. Yeah. So what's, what's the disconnect here? Cause I mean, I don't want to scare people. Sometimes it's not that clinical is a problem. It's that the particular job you're in is a bad fit, right? So maybe you have to try a couple different clinical experiences to find the one that really speaks to you. Yeah. Um, but that's what I'm, I'm hoping every everyone who's listening to this is going, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I do feel happier on the days I get to go into the hospital or get to go to the nursing home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nova MD applied before I got my MCAT score back this cycle. Terrible test, test day and score. I'm sorry. I'm going to reapply. How much will my personal statement activities, et cetera, change on the application? What else do I add? 
the dreaded reapplication question. What do I need to change? Scott, um, I, I love going to you for these types of questions because we get a, a little bit of a peek behind the scenes at, a, at an admissions committee. You have a student who needs to reapply to medical school. Maybe they got their score back before they sent secondaries. Maybe they got their score back after they sent secondaries. Do you sit there and go, okay, Nova MD, I see your last application. I see this year's application. Wow, you put no effort into changing anything. We're going to put you off to the side. Um, it's possible. Um, I think it depends. It depends on the school. It depends on the reviewer. It depends on, there's a lot of factors that would go into that. I, I think it's possible that some schools would do that for a reapplicant, that they would look at the past application. Now, there, there are questions uh, on applications and, and even on secondaries that ask you to explain what the differences are between your previous application and this application, you know, what you've done to improve or things like that. So that's clearly something that you're going to want to spend a lot of time with. I do not recommend using uh, verbatim uh, the exact same personal statement, the exact same activity descriptions, et cetera. I think you need to, uh, you know, go through, go through some reflection. And, uh, and you know, uh, so if you use the exact same stuff, then and what you're saying to a medical school is nothing, absolutely nothing has happened in the past year <laughs> that has changed anything for me. And that's yep. a little hard to hard to believe. Hmm. Yeah. Change. Yep. Change as much as possible. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, and Nova, again, I'm sorry that happened to you, too. But this yeah. is why we always say take your MCAT early if possible. Um, because heaven forbid that exactly this situation happens. And I don't mean that in a told you so way, just in a like, we can all collaborate and learn from each other. Yeah. An earlier MCAT with a score back. I mean, you know, it's we don't feel like scores impact school lists that much, but just making sure you're still in the game to apply. If you have the score in hand before you submit primary, then it's not a question. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Rachel, hello, the RT Med. Go follow her on Instagram, the RT Med. If I'm thinking about reapplying either next cycle or the cycle after. What I need to gain more shadowing, clinical volunteering, et cetera, even if I have a lot and I know my weakness is the MCAT. So we're right back into the, okay, I'm done, right? I got, I got the hours I need. I don't need any more. Um, and, and I get a lot of flack for this when students, uh, they talk about gap years. They're like, I'm going to take a gap year, I'm kind of burned out of school. I'm, I'm not going to apply this coming cycle or kind of the normal time frame. Uh, and I'm going to go backpacking in Europe for a year. And I always give caution to that saying, what potentially does that look like to medical schools that you're burned out of school, that you're questioning your life choices, your future career. And I always give a little asterisk of just keep a foot in the door of medicine. It doesn't have to be your life during your gap year, mm -hmm. but keep a foot in the door. Yep. And so if Rachel knows uh, this Rachel here, the artsy med knows that the MCAT is her weakness then yeah, that probably should be the majority of her life. And she should still try to get clinical shadowing volunteer, et cetera. I think we live in a world where people think in absolutes, like I'm doing MCAT prep, that's all. I'm getting clinical experience, that's all. And, and when you think about it, you can spend, if we have just a normal 40 hour work week, you can spend 
30 hours on MCAT prep and five hours getting some clinical experience and three hours getting some volunteer experience and one hour shadowing or whatever that math works out to be. So it, it, it doesn't have to be if you're doing clinical, it has to be 20 hours a week. Um, you can find potential different opportunities, whether it's hospice volunteering or something else that gives you more flexibility. Or maybe you just do it once a month to, to keep some consistency there that allows you to, to continue to focus on the MCAT. Yep. And good luck, Rachel. Yeah, good luck. Rachel's our friend on Instagram. You guys can go follow her. Uh, ooh, good MCAT question, and it ties into your presentation tonight. David, I start to study for the MCAT this month of December. How many hours is reasonable to study per week if you're working full-time and plan to take the MCAT in April? So I'm doing a workshop tonight with Blueprint and Sketchy. Um, and it's if you have 60 days or less to study for the MCAT. So it looks like David has a little bit more time than that. But um, yeah, the I think, Rachel, I think you may know this number, but it's like, the the numbers show to do well you need like 280 hours of, yeah. of prep for the mcat and so potentially take a number like that divide by how many days you have and and that will tell you um how much you should be studying yeah students report in the neighborhood of 300 to 400 but student reported data is interesting right because are people rounding down because they're embarrassed are they rounding up because they feel like that's what they have to say how efficient are those hours like self-reported data is just you know it's it's inherently <laughs> flawed um in my experience a lot of people allow two months for the mcat and end up needing three um which is why i tend to say three or four because what i'm trying to do is help you get out in front and build cushion um, sometimes when I see study plans and, you know, again, plug for blueprint, if you use a study plan like theirs, it's going to help you think through these flaws, but I'll see study plans that assume someone can do five hours after a 12 hour shift at the hospital. I mean, maybe, but really like, <laughs> um, you know, I'll see people say, you know what? I don't need any rest days. I'm like, no, you're probably going to need some rest days. Um, I don't need catch up days. I won't fall behind. I mean, like, even if you never fall behind, what if you get the flu? What if someone in your family needs help? You know, like, I think it's smart to start early and build in some cushion because then worst case, you're just ahead of schedule and what a glorious feeling that would be. Right. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I have also seen people do it in less than 60 days. Like Brian said, he's got um, uh, uh, an event with Blueprint and Sketchy tonight talking about doing that. It is possible. But if you're working full time, I think the big thing for you is you're asking how many hours is reasonable. What I don't, I don't know. I don't know what your energy level is like. But what you need to do is think about what in your life are you setting aside to make space for it, right? It's probably not work. It's probably not sleep, I hope. Um, but, you know, can you do a few hours on weeknights when you get home? Can you make sure that one weekend day is a huge study day and maybe the other weekend day is a break day? Um, you got you to gotta think that through. Um, or can you take a break every other week? Like you just have to personally assess your energy level and do something that you can maintain as opposed to try to cram and burn yourself out. Yeah. Uh, another plug uh, for a different mm. workshop. I'm doing two workshops tonight because why not? Um, I'm doing a workshop for uh, how to tell your story. So if you're applying next cycle in 2022, go to premedworkshop.com. 
and and register there. I'm doing it tonight at 9:30 Eastern, and then again tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern. It'll be the same workshop for both days. Just giving people opportunities. Freemedworkshop.com. How to tell your story. Put it on the banner. There you go. Thank you for that. Let's I think we're at it. our time. Yeah, we are. Mm-hmm. That was that was a fun session. That was like rapid fire. It felt yeah. like. Um, so thank you all for coming. Uh, we have over a hundred people hanging out with us across different uh, different channels. Hopefully, answering your questions again. We're the mapped the mapped team. There's just the four of us here. If you like getting answers from us and you want it maybe a little bit more personal um, and uh, at a relatively inexpensive cost go sign up for mapped and add mapped chat it is what it's called when you sign up but we call it chat advising uh or something else <laughs> we're figuring out a better name for it um into your mapped account and you can you can chat with us um we're there chatting inside of mapped to help you so yes. we can't do that until you add all of your grades and stuff in there <laughs> All right. Well, so we are on next week. Today's December 15th. So for those watching live, we'll be back next week. And then that'll be our last one of 2021. So see you guys in a week. Bye. Bye, everyone. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.